following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. And before you go, oh, another topical series, I want you to hear this. Everything that we are doing comes from God's Word, and we're going to be studying together God's Word primarily. And that in looking at God's Word, we are taking out from His Word uh, the truths that we apply uh, to what does it mean to live together as a church? What does it mean uh, to be a, an outpost, as it were, of the kingdom of God here in this place uh, that we are, the Scriptures call us, sojourners and aliens within this land, that we, uh, this isn't our home but our home and our citizenship is in heaven. And so we come together, gathering together under the name of our true king, under his laws, uh, under uh, the ethos and under uh, the uh, ethics and ethnics, as it were, uh, of his kingdom and community. And so we come together and we learn what it means to live together. We learn that we are a people on a mission, that we're a people who have an intentional life, that we're not just here uh, to make it through to the end, but we are here to do something of profound significance, that your story and your life has a greater meaning than you even know. I hope you understand that, that God doesn't have you here by mistake. But he's saying, I, I want to do something powerful. I want to do something impactful through you that will have reverberations even into eternity. And so we come together as a church at Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. I've been here now a little over five years. And our, our vision and mission statement when I came and has been for quite some time simply said this, to know Christ and to make him known. And over the course of the last several months, I've been meeting with a group of leaders and we've been praying together and talking together. I've gotten some time away alone uh, to pray and, and to seek the Lord and go, God, what is it within your general parameters of what the church is supposed to be about? What is it you want our church to be about? What are the things, uh, what are, are the language that we want to use, the nomenclature of our church? And what kept coming back into my mind was this statement that we want to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel that we want to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. Hopefully you received something in the mail. If you're a member uh, at the church, you received something in the mail this week uh, that had a letter from me. It had uh, a, a list and a statement of uh, these values that we are holding, these hallmarks, as it were, of our church. Uh, and with uh, that statement, Stephen, can we get that up? Maybe. But transforming. Uh, by lives, by the power of the gospel. That's the text that we're going to be looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to get there in a moment. But what we mean by that is saying that this is what we're going to be about. When we consider our church, and when you consider our church, we want you to consider it this way, that we're about transforming lives, but not just by manipulation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, he goes, we're not going to use cunning. We're not going to change uh, the word of God. We're not going to do all of that in order to transform lives. We're going to do it biblically. We're going to allow the spirit of God to transform lives, but we're going to do everything we can to point people in that direction and allow God to be God and the spirit to be the spirit to do his work within us. We want to create the space, the atmosphere in which he can do those things. And we're going to pray and ask him to do that. And so with that, 
uh, and if you didn't receive anything in the mail, I think there are some of the, there's a magnet that you can have if you don't have a fancy refrigerator. Uh, and it's an old-fashioned one that you can actually put magnets on. Uh, there's a magnet for you there. Uh, and you can take it and just have it there because we want this in your mind. To think about our church. To think about what we're about. To think about our mission. And you'd see on there, uh, then in that letter and in that information, another statement that is our mission statement. And it says that Hilden Head Presbyterian Church, that we uh, are a gospel-centered community of disciple-making disciples. Is it coming up? There we go. That we are a gospel-centered community uh, of disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ, who celebrate Christ, renew our hearts and minds through his word, live in deep community, and serve the needs of others. So we're a gospel-centered community of disciple-making disciples who celebrate Christ, renew our hearts and minds through his word, live in deep community, and serve the needs of others. You're going to see this around. We want this to become the hallmark. We want those four pieces uh, there to be uh, those parts of life to say, this is what we're about. And that we say that we're gospel-centered, that we're gospel-centric, that it is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, that life which he's given to us, that incredible transaction of the gospel uh, that is the hub. It is that which every other spoke comes from. And we say that all of our ministries, all of life together here is going to be gospel-centered in that. When Peter was writing to the church and he was saying, hey, I know you want to see your lives transformed. I know you want to see all of this happen. And he says, it's not because you haven't doubled down on effort. The reason that this isn't happening is because you're nearsighted, even to the point of blind, because you've forgotten who you are in Christ. You've forgotten the gospel. And when you forget the gospel, then there's nothing else that's going to really happen within your life. So we're a gospel-centered community, a community, not an organization, uh, not a civic organization or a religious organization, but a community, communing together, living life together, eating together, being together, of disciple-making disciples. I've asked the question on a number of occasions of folks, are you a Christian or are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian or would you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? And folks, pause. I mean, you may be pausing now. See, that's actually a trick question. There shouldn't and can't be a difference between those two things. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. But we have given opportunity, and especially in the American church, to say that you can be a Christian without being a follower of Christ, without being a disciple of Christ, that you've got your fire insurance, uh, that you're going to go to heaven because somewhere around the age of 13 or 14, you went on a youth trip, you went up a mountain, you had Jesus bumps all over your arms, and you went, oh, this is great. And then the rest of your life, until you pass away at 70, has absolutely nothing to do with anything remotely uh, about Jesus, but everybody says, but he loved Jesus because at 13, uh, he went and walked the aisle. There's a massive difference between them. There may have been a spiritual awakening and a spiritual and an emotional something that happened, but to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is a follower of Christ, intentionally living and following him, not perfectly, but intentionally wanting to become like the one that we serve. And so we want to be disciples here, but disciple-making disciples. Jesus said that the Great Commission is to go while you're going, while you're living your life. Go into all the world, wherever it is that you are, into your spheres of influence. Go, and while you're going, make disciples. We want you to be reproducing the life of Christ into the life of someone else. If you're more mature in your walk, it doesn't mean that you're more mature in life. If you're more, some of the most mature people in our church are very young. 
So in your maturity in Christ, you come along someone who's not as mature as you are and you build into them so that they can grow in their relationship with Christ. It is reproducing. It is a disciple making disciple. We're already seeing that in our women's ministry uh, of women who are more mature in their lives, coming alongside other women and sharing life together so that they would grow and be transformed. In our student ministry, some of the older students are coming and are discipling the younger students, are saying this is a part of what we're about, that to be a disciple is never about me. Sometimes we've taken up the sponge theology uh, in the church that we're a sponge, but here's what happens with a sponge. You sit, you soak, and you sour. The nastiest thing in your kitchen is your sponge. Smell it when you get home. But that's what happens in the church. We sit and we soak everything in. But you're never wrung out. You never give anything away and you just sour in the midst of all of our knowledge. And we want to be a place that's discipling other people, a disciple making church. And it's a church that has these four hallmarks that we want to see within the life of a person who has come to faith and is growing in their faith. We want to see them celebrate to know the Lord so awesome and great that they would celebrate him in worship. I was thinking about celebrating. We're going to be teaching on this next Sunday. But I thought about this, when, when New England won the Super Bowl and when uh, Clemson won the national championship and when North Carolina won uh, the national championship and when the Cubs won the World Series, I was thinking about the celebration that they had. And as I went back and I reviewed the celebrations that they had, it was fascinating what I found. I found that they all came and they gathered together and they sat staring at the back of heads in front of them and they quietly sat and went, hmm, isn't that interesting? fascinating awesome isn't that what happened boston went nuts chicago went nuts chapel hill went nuts clemson went nuts people were celebrating because there was something worth giving all their emotion and their life to and yet we come in the presence of god and we go hmm it's awesome king of kings saved my life from the pit of hell pretty cool that's great coming back again one day Awesome, I just can't wait to tell somebody else about it. We want to learn how to celebrate that God is worthy of that. We talked about it a little bit in the sermon last week, but we're going to talk about celebration. Talk about renewal of our minds through the power of God's word, uh, that our minds need renewal, uh, that we need to study, that we need to come in and have God's word shape us by the power of his spirit, and, and that we want to come back and be people of the book again, to know what we believe and why we believe it and be able to articulate that belief to someone else. If you cannot share your faith with somebody else, if you can't articulate it uh, to a child, then you yourself probably don't have a great grasp of it. And so we want to know it and be renewed in it uh, and train up these leaders and to train one another up. And we want to live in deep community together. We want to be known at a, at, a, at, a, at a heart level of desire. We all have a desire to be known, but we're terrified by it. The church has to offer that because all the world has to offer in culture uh, is false. It's fake community. And it's not deep. It's not saying, I'm going to accept you whatever happens. Uh, I'm going to be drawn into your brokenness instead of repelled by it. Because instead of seeing all of your faults, I'm going to celebrate the glimpses of glory that I see in you. And I'm going to call that glory out of you. I'm going to remind you regularly, yes, you messed up. Yes, this happened in your past. But Christ died for you. This is who you are. You have something to do in life. And we live together. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
Most of us, as Larry Crabb says, we live unexamined lives in unexamined communities of faith. We don't even know our own hearts. We don't know our own stories, and we have no idea how to engage one another's stories. And so we want to create places and spaces for us to do that here, and we want to serve the needs of one another. Hurricane Matthew is a great opportunity to begin that in our church, but it can't be the end. It, it has to be just an impetus of God to say, okay, I've been tilling the soil. It was, it was a flower bed. It was a seed bed just waiting for uh, water to be poured on it. And it's beginning to pour up now and grow up in our church. But we want to serve one another's needs both within the church and locally and around the world. And we want to do that effectively because that's what happens in the life of a disciple. And so if you're coming here and you're wondering, and I'm not going to have time to unpack all of this, but I want you to hear this. This is what we're aiming at. This is the target. When we say this is what our church is about, and you're a parent, you say, well, I'm going I'm to allow my kids to be under your influence for 18 years. What are they going to look like at the end of time? Well, we can't, well, we can't assure you how they're going to look. But we can say this. We want to build within them a, a celebration of the glory of who God is. We want to build within them a renewal, a love for God's word, and to study his word, and to know it, and it be honey on their lips. Uh, that we want them to live in deep community, be known uh, here within this body of believers here and to serve the needs of other people. That's what we want to see happen in the lives of your children. And parents, we want to see that happen in your lives. Uh, and it, singles, we want to see that happen in your life. And young married people in your life. Uh, and widowers and widows in your lives. And retired and active. All of the different things. That's what we want to be about. But what we really want to be about and the overarching message of that is transformation. And so we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look briefly this morning at this section where Paul talks about transformation. And he says that in verse, beginning in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze out at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil uh, remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing the reading and to the hearing of it. Transformation. That we're being transformed from one degree uh, to another. So three things this morning briefly. One, we're going to highlight, as we have many, many times before, so I'll do it briefly, that the difference between transformation and confirmation, that you're being conformed to something, uh, or behavioral modification, whichever word you'd love to use there. So transformation versus behavioral modification. Also, the transformation comes by the power of the gospel. And then finally, this transformation that we have is permanent and growing, is permanent and growing. So first, transformation versus confirmation. Conforming or behavioral modification uh, comes through a, a proper application of law. Uh, that if you were heading down to the south end 
uh, of the island today after church, and you're going to go over the cross island, and you are going to head and through the toll gates, and it's this beautiful wide bridge, and it's all lovely, and you're going, and the speed limit's 45, and you determine there's nobody around. 45 seems very uh, restrictive to me. I think 60 would be a much better number. It's a round number, and so I'm going to go 60 over the bridge. Awesome. You're free to do that. But if we told you, hey, there's a member of our church who is a deputy sheriff, and he told me at the first service uh, that right after church, he's going to go and he's going to park on the other side of the bridge uh, facing all oncoming traffic, and he's got a quota that he needs to meet uh, this week because he's behind on his ticket quota, and so he's going to be nailing you as you come over for 46 in a 45. Would that, other than teenage boys, would that affect your driving habits? Because every teenage boy goes, you can't be talking about me. It would, because the proper application of law will get you to change your behavior. If a parent properly applies law in the home and says, if you show up at 12.01 and not 12 midnight, anything electronic, anything that plugs in, anything that has a life of its own is gone from your life for a month and you're consistent in the application of that, then guess what? Your child will be home a little before midnight. If not, guess what, parent? Take away everything that has a life of its own. Don't put the line in the sand and go, oh, I actually meant this line. Because then that's not a proper application of the law. But law, properly applied, will change behavior. We're not about behavioral modification because here's what happens in behavioral modification. It doesn't go down at a deep enough level. It doesn't get down to the heart. And Proverbs says that the heart is the wellspring of life. The heart is from which everything comes out. It is your life. It is your essence. It is who you are. And that the heart, because of the fall, is called hardened and dead and deceitful above all else. And so God promises that he has to give us a new heart. We have to be regenerated. We have to be given this new heart of flesh to replace the heart of stone. Nicodemus, when he came to Christ, he said, how is it that I can get this new life? He said, you have to be born again. You have to be given a new heart. Your heart has to be a new heart. Transformed at that level, then out of the heart springs out everything else. And so when young people go off to college, so often they blow up because the external pressures of conformity and the application of the law have been removed from them and they go nuts. Business people, when you go out of town and no one's checking, that's when you go nuts because your external conformity has been removed and you come and you, you then act out based on who you really are. And so we don't want behavioral modification. We want spiritual transformation. Paul uses the word here, spiritual transformation, which is equivalent to the theological word sanctification. Sanctification, it means by the New City Catechism, says this, it is our gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work within us. It is growing and it is gradual. It is a team effort that it is the Spirit of God at work within us, but it is also our effort 100%, and it is God's effort 100%, working together to see this change in our lives. That we are changing, he said, from glory to glory. That it is progressive in its movement. That you won't be the same today as you were yesterday when you are following Jesus Christ. And the word that he uses there for transformed 
is the word that we get metamorphosis from. It is a metamorphosis of your being. It is a metamorphosis of your life. And there's an interesting other place where that same word is used. And it's on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Christ was transformed, transfigured, he was there and his glorified self came. And all of a sudden, the disciples who were there, Peter, James, and John, fell in front of him and said, you're different. When he rose from the dead uh, and he said, you can't touch me yet. It was his transformed body, uh, that body that was still human, but yet perfect. And it said that he was so different, even in mass and substance, he could walk through a wall a door. And so there was something different about him. He was changed. And that's the word that Paul says about our lives. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will be changed. You can't stay the same, but it's a process. Glory to glory. If you know the largest jerk in the low country, you happen to know them. And you're thinking of somebody right now. You are. I'm not, you are. But and that person comes by your invitation, maybe. They come to church on Sunday. And they hear the gospel. And they commit their lives to Christ. And they become a Christian that day. You know what you have on Monday morning? You have a Christian jerk. He or she hasn't learned how not to be a jerk. What has happened is they've been given this new life in Christ and they say, now, I don't want to be a jerk anymore. I, I want to learn to love. I, I want to learn how to be gracious. I want to learn how to forgive. I want to be like my Savior. But it's not all coming at once. Now, your justification, that is your salvation, is a one-time act of God's free grace by which you are declared righteous, given his righteousness. But sanctification or transformation is a process. So guess what we all have in common? We're in process, folks. Some of you are a little further down the line than others, but you're still in process. And so instead of pointing out all the errors that we see in one another, wouldn't it be awesome if we just saw some of the glimpses of glory that were there and cheered one another on to go, way to go, you're less of a jerk today than you were yesterday. <laughs> Probably say it a little differently. But in essence, that's what we're saying. You look more like Christ today. You're dying a little more to that old idol to that old lover, to that old person, that old man, that old woman. You're dying to that, and you're living to Christ. Way to go. For it is a process of changing, and we are becoming more like the image of Christ. We are being transformed into the image of God, that our moral character is being touched, that our knowledge of our mind is being renewed. I'd have just a moment, but... A man who was an influence in my very early days for Christ, Danny Lehman. He was a drug addict and strung out on heroin and his brain was just fried in the early 70s. And he's on the beach in Southern California and he hears Stairway to Heaven. And he goes, heaven, I'd like to learn about heaven. Zeppelin, I doubt, ever wrote that song thinking it would be used by God to lead someone to faith. But he said, heaven. So he went over uh, to the Catholic Church and he went to the priest. He said, tell me about heaven. And the priest said, you've got to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he went and he began to understand about this Jesus person. And he committed his life to Christ. But he had no brain left. It literally was fried. And he said, God, I want to know you. And I want to know your word. And I'm going to study your word. Would you renew my mind? Danny, to this day, he's probably in his late 60s, early 70s. He has memorized almost two-thirds of the New Testament. He knows it verbatim through the renewal of his mind 
by coming into God's word and saying, I want to be renewed by the power of the spirit in my life. And so it is a changing of his knowledge and of his mind, the use of our gifts and abilities, all that we have are being transformed, the totality of your life being transformed. Now, for some of you, that's shocking and you don't like it. Because you're like, I'd like to have my marriage transformed, but I really kind of like my business practice over here and my ethics over here. Hey, I I want to know that I'm going to heaven, but I'd really like to be able to go out and party on Friday and Saturday night. You pray the prayer of a college student, Lord, forgive me for what I'm going to do this weekend. That's not it. It's a total transformation of your life, of every bit of who you are, how you relate to one another, how you love one another, your finances, your life, how you, and after the Great Awakening, it said that men were repenting to their farm animals because they realized I've been harsh to them and my life has been transformed and I need to say sorry to the donkey. And you may say, how silly, but that's the kind of transformation that was taking place. They realized it even impacts how I treat my animals. That's how deep it goes in the transformation, the transfiguration of your soul. So it's transformation versus conformation. And transformation comes about by the power of the gospel, that there is a power source. And that's what Paul uh, was saying here, that we behold the glory of the Lord. And later in in chapter four, he begins to speak of the gospel of the glory of the Lord, that it is the good news of the gospel presented to us that we study, that we know. And it's by his power of seeing his glory that we're changed, that we're turning away from something else and turning to him. If you're turning to Christ, then that means you're repenting of or turning. In Tim's sermon a number of weeks ago, he talked about that with David, of that turning from something towards not just something, but someone. It's not a philosophical set of rules and thoughts. It's not a religious set of rules or thoughts. It it is a person, Jesus Christ. And that we turn to him and and we behold him. When it says in John, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was a turning to him. Are you willing to turn from all those other things and turn towards Christ Christ? It's a beholding, to behold. Isn't that a great word? And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. I love that word because it's a word that doesn't just say, I notice you, I I see you, but you behold it, that, that you consider it deeply and profoundly. For so many of us, we, we acknowledge the Lord. Yeah, I mean, I got the Lord of the universe living in my heart. I mean, my sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ, who was the very son of man, equal with God in power and glory, man and God fully together. Yeah, I see him. I got him. The God who created all things. Yeah, and I know him. Yeah, I mean, I don't spend any time with him, but I I know him. No, you behold him. The best place in a wedding, by the way, is my spot. Because I get to stand next to the groom. And I get to watch the groom's face as he beholds holds his bride. I wish our aisle went all the way to the other end of the building so you could see her and all her beautiful radiance coming. And the groom is being changed right there. And as she's walking forward, she's being changed because she's beholding her groom. And all of a sudden she realizes and he realizes, I'm not single anymore. My life is not my own. 
I am married now. I am going to now suppress my thoughts, dreams, and desires and raise the thoughts, dreams, and desires of someone else. I am moving away from my family of origin and I am cleaving to this other person and I am going to love them well for the entirety of my life. I am different because I'm beholding them. When a parent gets to see their child for the first time. Yeah, I just had a baby. They're down in the nursery. Boy or girl? I'm not sure. Yes. Pretty sure. No. You hold that child. And you are overwhelmed at that moment as beholding the beauty of this child. You realize, oh no. Never again is my life the same. That everything that I do has an effect on a person and even ramifications into eternity itself. You behold your child. And like so many of you parents, I bet you would tell me privately that you've snuck into the rooms of your children. And it doesn't matter what age. And it's not creepy kids. It's parents being parents of just looking when you sleep. And of just going, what an awesome thing. That this child is a man now. This child is a woman now. And oh, what a glorious place to sit as a parent when your child gets married and you're looking and you're going, oh my gosh, they're starting it all over again in the cycle of this life that we have. And now look at this. This is awesome. You behold them. And whatever you behold changes you. And Paul says, behold Christ. Look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let me just ask you a simple question. What are you beholding now? What, what is taking the bulk of your attention now in life? Lisa and I learned something. We're not huge tech people, but we learned something, and I wish we hadn't learned it. We learned that you can get six, seven, eight seasons of a show all at once. And there's a particular show uh, that we've binged on. That's the language. Older folks, it's called binging. And we binged on Suits. And Suits is a show on USA. And all of a sudden, I find myself, and the main character, Harvey Specter, uh, is a jerk, a class A jerk attorney who loves to drive people into the ground. He has a very low, if any, moral compass. His language is profane. He drinks too much. He sexes too much. He speaks down to people. And all of a sudden, after watching seven seasons of him at 12 episodes per season, at 42 minutes per episode, all of a sudden, I found myself being a little more of a jerk around my house. Of wanting to be kind of like Harvey Specter. Wouldn't it be nice just to say whatever you wanted to say, whenever you wanted to say it, and couldn't care less what someone else thought about it? I had beheld him too long. And I was becoming like him. And Christ is saying, turn away from all of that. It doesn't mean you can't watch TV. It can't, doesn't mean you can't watch certain shows. You probably shouldn't, by the way. But it, does, it just means, what are you beholding in your life? What is capturing your attention? What is holding your gaze? Whatever it is, it's going to change you. And for some of you, it's the pot of gold. That if I just get that money, guess what? You're going to become just like it. Cold and heartless. If you just look and say, oh, if I just have marriage, if I just have this, and you behold it, God is saying, behold me, and I'll transform you by the power of my spirit, that you will become like me in that process of time, dying to self, 
And here's the last thing. This transformation that we have has a permanence. And the picture that is given here in chapter 3 and on to chapter 4 is that of Moses. When Moses in the Old Testament came before God at the burning bush and he saw God and in the presence of God, it says that he was transformed, that he had a radiance, that he kind of glowed. And it was that the people were freaked out by him. And so he put a veil over his face and he put the veil over his face for two reasons. One was he didn't want to freak everybody out to go, Moses, you know, you're glowing. You ever seen a glowing person? I haven't. But he was. And the second reason was he said this glowing, this countenance was fading away. It it wasn't permanent. What Paul is saying here is this transformation that's happening is more than just permanent. It's growing. You will become more like Christ over the course of time, not less like him. That with unveiled face now you see him and you are transformed and everybody else around you sees you and sees it in you. And my hope is that they're amazed by it. They're amazed and they go, what is it that's different about you? I knew you was the jerk on Friday. You went to church on Sunday and you've been hanging out with all of these Christian people and you're around them and you're still my friend, but there's something different about you. There's something transforming in you. They probably won't lose that language. They'll go, there's something different about you. And you're transformed and you're growing in that permanence. And then one day it will be made perfect and right. But we're always growing towards that. So are you growing? Are you looking more like Christ than you did yesterday in 10 years? Some of you have stalemated or stagnated, excuse me. Some of you are stuck and you need to refire. And instead of doubling down on work, on effort, look at Christ more. Be reminded of what you've been forgiven. Be reminded uh, of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fall in love again with the fact uh, that you were desperately lost. And if he had not chosen you before the foundations of the world, you would have no sense and no opportunity of salvation at all. And it's the most humbling, incredible thing for you to look and to go, why me? Why me? Why was I born to Bill and Maggie McCutcheon in 1968 who loved you and they shared the gospel with me? And how come I wasn't born in the middle 6th century in an outer Tibetan country that would never have ever heard of the gospel? But God, in your providence and in your sovereignty, you had me born here. How awesome that is. And when you consider it, it changes your heart. You become incredibly humble and you become incredibly passionate to tell other people about this great God. Evangelism becomes natural and not contrived. So we believe that this is the mission of our church. Transforming lives by the power of the gospel. That we want to see your lives transformed. That I want to see my life more transformed. And the way that we do that is together, folks. We do that together. In this work of the gospel that's here in this life. And then we present it to a world uh, that's around us looking on. And so with these hallmarks... We believe that we are a church, a gospel-centered community of disciple-making disciples who are celebrating Christ and who renew their hearts and their minds by the power of the gospel and his word and spirit, who live in deep community together and who serve the needs of others. I'm excited about where we're going. I look forward to unpacking God's word together over these next several weeks as we see together these things.
And as you go today, grab a magnet, grab a little card, see what God's doing. There's some stuff down the hallway. We're going to do some things here because we want this in the forefront of our minds, that this is who we are. This is what we're about, and this is where we're going. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word preserved for us over all these years. Thank you that what was taking place way back when is taking place even now, that you're in the business of transforming lives, uh, of taking people like Paul who hated you and hated your church and changing them in a glimpse, in a moment, and making them your sons and daughters and using them powerfully, restoring their stories of healing their guilt and shame, of renewing their minds, of freeing them from bondage to sin and to death and addiction, of having them come to a place of finding love and acceptance in this place of deep community, of going and putting the needs of someone else above their own and recognizing at that moment when they cover the naked or they give food to the hungry that they are acting just like you, as you did that to us. And just to throw in, that we get to do it together and not alone. What an awesome thing that is. So we praise you today. And we sing to your glory both now and forever. Amen.